Oh, good morning. Glad to see you all. Um, I missed you guys last week. I was sat, sat back in the back and watched you guys and uh, I observed and made notes about your behavior. And so, um, and I, Gary was very gracious to you to let you out early. Um, and so I'm borrowing all of his extra minutes from last week, this week. <laughs> That's not a joke. So I don't know. Why, um, so really, I'm, I'm, uh, it's nice to hang out and, and sit and listen to Pastor Gary teach. Really great guy, isn't he? Isn't he just an amazing dude? Just amazing? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, really, really blessed to have him. Hope you guys know that. I think you do. Um, so anyway, all that being said, you just saw the announcement. We are 13 days away from the very first Saturday night service. So um, on September 21st and September 28th, those are Saturdays, we will host what we call preview services. So that will be... For our church family, you all can come, you can all participate, you can serve, you can do all those things, and it's just us working out all the details and making sure we're ready for inviting our community in on October 5th. So you go, do we invite people to this? You're welcome to if you want to, but it'll be a little different than it'll be in October because we'll pause for a second and talk about some things, pray for some things, and so it's just our church family getting ready for October 5th, and so uh, as you've been hearing the last several weeks, there's still some opportunities for you to serve. There's a gigantic board if you're going, well, how do I serve? There's all sorts of opportunities out there with all sorts of descriptions. So if you take a moment um, after the service day, hang out in that lobby right before you go out and eat some walk-in tacos and find, find a spot. Really would love for all of us to jump in in some fashion, either on Saturday or Sunday. And so, which uh, kind of leads to the question, why are we doing this, right? It's pretty important. We talked about it briefly, but not a whole bunch. Why are we why are we doing this Saturday night thing? And um, there's, a, there's several reasons. One is space. You can see even here in, in the parking lot between services, it gets kind of complicated. And, but that's just a, a factor. But there's two kind of um, guiding or predominant factors of why we're doing the Saturday night service. Um, one is about the Sabbath. One is us figuring out a way to pause for 24 hours and remember that God's in charge. And um, with the busy schedules of Sundays and the busy schedules of our, our weeks, um, it just made sense that we'd create another opportunity. I'll talk to you more about that later in the message. But the second reason, just to be very candid with you, um, is very—this uh, word gets creepy at times, depending on how people use it. It's very evangelistic for us. Um, for those of us who walk in this belief that Jesus really is Lord, what you got to see with Susie just a few minutes ago, this— this idea that there is a God who loves us immeasurably and wants to invade every part of our life and um, what Jesus tells us to give us life and life to the fullest. Um, we want to make sure that every single human being, every man, every woman, every child in our community gets the opportunity to hear uh, about Jesus. Uh, so this isn't just about trying to grow our church. Some smart person in Britain once said, growth for the sake of growth is the ideology of the cancer cell, right? So this isn't just about trying to become a big church. This is there really is good news, and there really is a, um, a God who proved his love for us by stepping down onto this planet, and not just to get us into heaven one day, but to usher in heaven into our lives now. And so we want to do our part in uh, helping people figure that out. In fact, Jesus says it this way. He said the Son of Man, he's talking about himself. Um, when he says Son of Man, that's him referring to his humanity, the fact that he stepped on this planet. The Son of Man said that he came to do this. Seek and save that what, which was lost. And so we're going Saturday night gives another opportunity to help Jesus seek and save that which was lost. And that could be a really offensive term. I get that. Like to talk about to a world and uh, to talk about it being lost. And I'll just be candid with you. There's many of us in this room who would fall into that same category of lost. But it's, it's not offensive. It just, uh, um, in fact, when we use the word lost in any, in, in any setting, it, we're always talking about something that we value, right? You don't lose trash. 
you lose a receipt you got to turn in for your expense report, right? Those are two different things. So whenever you refer to something at lost, it's always an object that really matters to you. You lose your keys. You lose your child in the grocery store. Like, those are things you start looking for, right? Things you don't look for, you don't refer to as lost. And so you got that piece. But here's what it really means just to be lost. It just means you either don't have the map, or you're not following the map, or you have the wrong map. That's just all it means. Lost just means you don't know where you are or where you're going. And so um, as we look at our world, I don't think it's too hard for us to kind of talk about the fact that we are pretty aimless at times and not real sure where we're going. Um, or when we get to the place we thought we were going, it's, it's left us wanting and disappointed. And so this idea of being lost just is more about having the wrong map. And so here, here's how I describe that. And, and so when I think about our world and its, its map, right, even, and I think about, even if you're Christian, non-Christian, this is just kind of part of what we operate with. When we, when we think about this world that we're operating with, um, we kind of have this guiding light for us. And I'm not talking about in Christianity, I'm just talking about in general, and particularly as Americans, uh, Westerners, whatever, whatever term I use there, but for the most part, the majority of the world, and this is gener- generalized, so maybe you go, ah, I don't quite fit that, but for most of the world, the map that we operate on, the, the place that we're heading to, all is about this word right here, right? success, right? Success. So it's all about success, right? You even say about your kids, you hope one day that they are successful, right? So it's all about this idea of success. We want to be successful. We want to be productive citizens. We want to have and experience some kind of success. So when we think about our world and uh, look at it, what we're trying to achieve, that word is a guiding factor, right? We want to have success. Now think about that. What does that actually mean? What does it mean to be successful, right? When we start thinking about word success, we then immediately, or most of us, go to this idea of goal setting. We have goals that we then, we, here's some words we use, right? We either try to obtain those things. Success is about obtaining, uh, acquiring, kind of the same, or achieving, right? When we think about success, we're all thinking about this idea that we've got to obtain something or we've got to acquire something or we've got to achieve something. So you did the 10-year goal thing, right, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and you go, when I get to whatever age it is, I'm going to have what? A house, a spouse, three kids. They're all going to be healthy. They're all going to love me. They're all going to be grateful, right? You know, all those things. You're going to have the animals, the job, whatever those things are. We all have these kind of things that we chart, right? Even you think about education. We're trying to sort through, okay, now that you're 12, what do we need to do to get you ready to be an adult? In other words, what are all the steps we've got to do along the way to get you to be an adult, right? So what are the things that we're going to set some goals for and work towards those goals, right? We all like the goals. We all are interested in the goals. There's, and even talking about goals, and I go, ah, maybe there's something else to it. That actually presses us a little bit. No, 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 don't tell my kids they shouldn't have goals, right? We all want these goals. We, maybe every year in January, we set some new goals about how much we want to weigh, what kind of things we want to do, right? Uh, what kind of vacations we want to take? How much money do we want to put away, right? This is, this is just a normal part of our roadmap and our map as human beings. We want to think about success, which is great, until you either don't reach those goals or you do reach those goals, right? So in some ways, you have these, what I would call, expectations as it relates to your success, right? So you have these expectations. By the time I'm 30, I want to be married, really simple one, right? And either you achieve that expectation, and you get to that point, and how did that make you feel, right? Did it, 
Did it, did it meet all those needs you're hoping it would meet? By the time I'm 35, I want to have two kids. Okay, let's say you met those things. You achieved those expectations. Did it do all the things in your heart and soul that you thought it would do in your heart and soul? By the time I'm 40, I want to have this much money in the bank. You get to that place, is it enough money? Do you feel any more secure? Do you feel any more comfortable? Right? And so there's, so on one end, you actually achieve those expectations and they didn't do all the things that you hoped that those expectations would do. Or worse, but the same, you didn't achieve those things. By the time I'm 30, I'm going to get married. Then you didn't get married. By the time I'm 35, we're going to have two kids. And you don't have the two kids. Right? On either side of the category, there's this thing that we think are expectations, but the reality is they're not really, these expectations we're all kind of striving for really become this, unmet expectations. Right? So either way, whether or not we didn't achieve the things that we are setting out to, because we want to be successful and thus obtaining, acquiring, achieving, so either we didn't do those things, which makes us feel like we're not very valuable. We didn't lose the weight that we thought we'd lose. We have all that extra diet food in the pantry, right? We got all that different stuff. We have that gym membership we haven't used all year, and it just leads us to, what does it lead us to? It's this, right? Every single time, it leads us to a place of disappointment. Or, on the other end, you did get married by 30. And by 31, uh, you realize that marriage wasn't going to give you all the stuff you thought it'd give you. Right? So you had this big hope that finally someone would love you unconditionally and someone would be there for you all the time. And yet, those things didn't happen quite that way. Right? Or, man, I can't wait to have kids. Then you get those kids, right? And those kids didn't achieve all those things you thought it would do in your soul. It didn't complete you. It actually just made you sleep less and make you more crabby and not have any money and not get to go on vacation and not have as nice of a car and a dirty house. Maybe. I don't know. I'm just... Guessing you might experience those things. Right? So regardless, and it leads you to this place of disappointment, right? And so if we look at our worldview and go, it's all about success, what we're really saying is in our worldview, it's filled all over our world. Doesn't matter if you're Christian or non-Christian. Doesn't matter if you have any kind of belief in a religious system. All of us kind of end up in this place of disappointment. Now, if that's the case, which I would just argue all of us have that experience, you don't have to be a Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter. If that's the case, I would go, well, it's not like you actually were found in this. Is it possible that just leads to a place of being lost? And so what happens is when you get to this place of disappointment, right, you have to do something with it, right? You have this unmet expectation, this place of disappointment. Here's what just kind of falls out on those things. Once you get to a place of disappointment, it leads you to a place of bitterness. And here's what's really, really crazy about this, guys, particularly for those of us who are Christians. You see, most of what we're disappointing and bitter about now are actually answered prayers we had from 10 years ago. You wanted that big house. You prayed for that big house. You prayed for that job. Then you get the job. It didn't give you all your needs. And then you get the job and you go, this is too much work. This house is too much to take care of, right? And the very things that end up happening to us where we get disappointed and eventually bitter are the very things that 5, 10, 15 years ago that we prayed for and begged for and longed for. Right? So we have this whole category where most of our disappointment is actually because God answered prayers and things that we wanted. You wanted that spouse at one point. 
right? Like you prayed for that person, and you were so amazed with that person. The very things that attracted you to that person, because you, God, would you do this? So the very things that now lead you to a place of disappointment, and unkept, that disappointment always leads to bitterness. And that bitterness always, always leads to resentment. And here's how you can tell if you're in this little land right here. No longer are you focused on obtaining and acquiring, achieving. Really, your behavior is all about grumbling and complaining. No longer is it about your goals, right? And so when you get to this place where you're just grumbling and complaining, right, about the things that God even answered your prayers if you're a Christian, or the things that you thought would complete you, this place of grumbling and complaining is literally going, don't you understand that's just your mouth revealing what's in your heart, and what's in your heart is just bitterness and resentment. And then eventually, eventually, for all of us at some point, that resentment, unkept, not being dealt with, leads to a place of contempt. And by contempt, we just mean judging. It just means you sit on a stool and you judge the world around you. You just look at it and you just judge. They're fools. They don't know. They're clueless. They're bad. They're difficult. They're unaware. Whatever the terms are, right? You now have some conclusion about the people that are in your circle and definitely the people outside of your circle, right? And so you live in this place of contempt. And so when you get here, here's what happens. You're no longer even concerned about complaining or grumbling. You know what you're concerned with there? Just surviving. See this? We start with this beautiful map of going, we just want to be successful. We want to achieve, and we want to acquire, and we want to obtain. But then as we get older, and either we don't have those things that we tried to achieve, and we just are left feeling disappointed, then eventually bitter, and then resentful, and then contemptuous. Or we did achieve all those things, and we realized they weren't enough. And all those things that we thought would be the thing that would make the thing, and create the thing, and make our hearts feel so full alive, full and alive, the very things that just left us wanting. And so then after the grumbling, complaining, finally we just throw our hands up and go, I don't even know why I grumble and complain anymore. It's not going to get any better. Nothing's going to change. And so then you just lock in. You go, you know all I care about now? Just surviving the day. Right? You see it in your marriages. You see it in your families. See it in your workplace. So this whole picture, and you don't have to be, this is Christian, non-Christian. This is just kind of, the map that we are all kind of fallen into, and when Jesus says that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost, this is what he's tackling here. This really, really broken worldview that says if you work harder, do more, finally you'll be happy. And either you work harder and do more and you're not happy, or you realize you're not capable of working hard enough and doing enough, and then you're unhappy, right? So you can look at your marriages, you can look at your families, you can look at your job, and the guiding factor for this great country with all of its wealth, all of its resources, as we go day to day, just trying to survive. And then the big goal for us, big goal for us, is to eventually, one day, way, 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 way out in the future, just to arrive safely and comfortably at death. That's our big goal now. Save enough so we can retire, so that we can have enough to not have to worry or think anymore and just survive every day till one day, way out in the future, I can just arrive safely at death in my sleep. That's our worldview. That's our deal. And so it's going, okay, well, if that's not how it's supposed to happen. Then how is it supposed to happen? And here's the argument for today, and I'm going to walk you through the scriptures. Jesus is not interested in you surviving. He's not really even interested in you being successful. Here's what he's interested in you doing. 
thriving. You know, thriving is different, or maybe even the word flourishing you would like better. It's different than being successful. Because success has everything to do with the future. Someplace you arrive, someplace you get to, somewhere out in the future, right? It's some dangling carrot stick out there. And what God is doing, he's going, no, 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 I'm not interested in you worrying about way out there. And even in the Christian world, we go, we got to figure out God's will for our life. That's one of the cute terms we say, right? But even when we talk about God's will for our life, we think about someplace we're going to arrive later, right? Like later. And the reality is God's will for your life has nothing to do with the future and everything to do with today. And as you hop in on God's will today, and you stay in it tomorrow, eventually, eventually God will lead you to the place he has for you. But it's not that you're trying to work that out in the future. That means everything in today is going, how do I lean in for this day? So thriving has everything to do with growing in the moment of the day and not in the future. And what God does in the book of Exodus, which is what we've been walking through, he gives these, these people that are very similar to us, we're trying to walk out of slavery and bondage, walk out of this place that all they want to do is survive. And he leads them out of this place to a place where he goes, every single day you can be with me. Every single day you can have joy. Every single day, regardless of your circumstances, you can have hope. And the way he does it is messed up. Here's what he does. He tells these people, the Israelites, they're in bondage and slavery. They tried to attain, they tried to acquire, they tried to achieve. It always left them wanting. And they just end up as people that are just grumbling and complaining. And they just start saying, we would rather just die than live this way, right? They're just in this place. And so what happens is God gives them a couple things. He gives them a promise, right? He makes this big promise to them. I will lead you to the land flowing with milk and honey. I will lead you into the land that I have for you, this promised land, this land that'll happen. And they get so consumed by that. Like, there's going to be a day where everything's going to be perfect, and they're just leaning and going, when's that day? When's that day? When's that day? So somewhere way out in the future, there's going to be this payoff, right? So you got this promise and this payoff, and they just latch on to that payoff. And every day they're going to say today, is today the day? But the problem is, there's this long, long gap between this promise and this payoff. And what you see happen to these Israelites is exactly what happens for us. So where we find ourselves in the story is these people, God's chosen people, who God made in his image and his likeness and continued to redeem and bring back, were brought to a place of slavery to some really horrific human beings, right? And so the, the Egyptians kind of oversaw them, lorded over them, made them them slaves, and God, through some really crazy supernatural events that proved he is God, proved that he's in charge, and proved that he's always bending and shaping all things for our good and his glory, right? He, through some crazy circumstances, eventually frees them out of uh, this bondage and slavery and points them in the right direction. And, he, and the last kind of big supernatural thing he does as they're fleeing the enemy is he parts this gigantic ocean for all these Israelites— hundreds and thousands of these Israelites to walk through the sea on dry land. And as they get through it, he, he literally swallows up the enemy. He protects them, he saves them, and they finally get to a new place. Now, the, the place that they are supposed to go from where, that, where God has them there to where he's going to take them should be about an 11-day journey, right? Just 11-day journey, you'd think, okay, God made a promise. There's going to be a payoff. Should be a really quick journey. But where we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 15, it's been about 30 days. And they're kind of going, wait, wait, God, you made a promise to us. You're going to make us successful. You're going to take care of all the stuff. And you haven't done it yet. So what do they do? They start grumbling and complaining. God, you're not even good anymore. You can't do this. We'd rather be dead than do this. And so they find themselves 30 days in with nothing that they need, including they've ran out of all their supplies, all their earthly stuff they have to provide for them, and they don't even have water. And you know, three to four days, that's about all you can do without water. So finally they find some water, but they realize it's, horrific water that's completely tainted and they can't drink it. Lead to dysentery and then death. 
And so God does a suit, like this really neat thing where he makes all the water pure and they drink it. So you'd think they'd be really, really happy. The next thing that they end up with is going to the next day and they're the next week and they're going, God, you still haven't provided. Now we're hungry. Again, this idea of, God, we thought you would do stuff for us. We have this expectation of you. You're not meeting it in the way that we want you to meet it. And so we see the same thing where they get disappointed, they get bitter, they get resentful, and then they get contemptuous. And they're telling God they'd rather be dead than be underneath his regime. Within a couple weeks, right? And so they find themselves in the spot. And God, because he is gracious, is going to take these moments and talk about this, this gap between this promise he makes and the payoff. And in that gap, there's this process And the whole reason for the process for them and also for us is to see that it's not about eventually getting someplace. Maybe one day we'll get there. But it has everything to do with God meeting us and being with us every single day. So when Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost, he's saying, I came to bring myself into your life and to help you thrive and flourish, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your marriage, regardless of your kids, regardless of your job, that every single day you can enjoy life. So regardless if you're Christian, non-Christian, this is pretty profound because God's going, let me show you how life could work. Let me give you the right map. And he's going to give them this weird circumstance. He's going to give us the same weird circumstance in our life to show us that it's much less about the payoff, a lot more about the process, and that he's going to invade our life on a daily basis. And so what he is doing here in this scenario, and I would offer what he's doing in your life, in your relationships, in your job, in your family, is the same exact thing. He is in the middle of the process giving you awareness, which is such a great gift. It's just such a great gift that he's going to give you awareness about your current circumstances and your need for a good and perfect God. And so he's going to do that through these Israelites. And so we're going to be in Exodus chapter 16 and 17. I'm going to be reading from the NIV, and I'm going to start reading, and we'll just make some observations and talk about it, and I think it'll be worth your time. So here goes. Exodus chapter 16. I'm going to begin in verse 1. So they've just, just happened Exodus 15. God's given them clean water. They're really happy about that, and they're just wandering in the wilderness, and now they want food. They are hungry. They are hangry, they are grumbling, and they're complaining. And watch what happens. Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. I'm reading from the NIV today. Same thing on the screens up here. If you want to read in the Bible, they're right in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, grab that one in front of you. Take it home with you. Just stick it underneath your shirt or something and when you walk out. I'm just joking. You can walk it out and you can just hold it in your hand. We won't, we won't tackle you or anything. We have surveillance cameras. So all that's a joke. Please take it if you need a Bible. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin. That's not the word you think of as sin, like you're a sinner. It's a Hebrew word, probably means something like moon. We're not real sure, but there's nothing to see there, nothing important. Um, uh, Which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. So Moses, the writer of this, the leader of this, is going, let me tell you how long it's been. The 15th day of the second month. So you do the math, that's about 45 days in or whatever it is. So he's like, this has been a long time with these whiny babies on this. Like, have you ever been on a vacation with someone who complains the whole time? right? Never is happy no matter what. They, they say, I don't care what we eat. Then you pick the place. Hmm? Yeah. Moses has been on that vacation for 45 days, right? So he's, he's done with this. So he's making sure you understand that he's gotten like, like eight weeks in with these people, right? So here goes, or seven weeks in with these people. So it's uh, 15th day of the second month after they'd come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community, community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. So Aaron is Moses' brother, and he's going to be kind of like the priestly dude leading it. Moses is going to be like the CEO. You got this, so you got Aaron the shepherd, Moses the, the, you know, the, the, the general, pretty interesting thing. And what it says is that everyone, everyone was grumbling and complaining. Why? 
They had an expectation. God was going to free them. They were going to get out of it. And now they're in this place of disappointment, bitterness, and resentment. How do you know that? Because they're grumbling and complaining. So you want to see if you're in a place of disappointment and resentfulness and bitterness? Pay attention to your words. Right? Are you, are you complaining and grumbling? Then this is a place that you've had an unmet expectation that you haven't kind of surrendered yet. And so just watch your words. And so this is what happened. We find them complaining. So... They're complaining about everything, including the fact that God freed them out of slavery. So now they get to make a decision every single day. There's no tyrant over them. And they're complaining about the very thing that God answered their prayers. God, free us. He does. Now they whine. God, give me a spouse. He does. No, you complain about it. God, give me kids. He does. And now you've got to change their diapers. Whoa, is God, right? And so this is where we find ourselves. The Israelites said to him, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, right? They're even past this grumbling complaining. They don't even care about survival anymore. They would, they're saying, we, could we, if we, man, you know, it'd be so nice if we just would have died. Those are people I like to be around on vacation, right? If only we would have died in the hand of Egypt. And then they have this, so funny. It's such a, such a complex we have. We kind of look back at the past with these rose-colored glasses, it's not true, right? So you get to this place where something bad's happening. Now you look back at the past, the same past you were grumbling and complaining about. You know, the past looks good based on the current pressure, right? And they say this. They go, there, were, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Yeah, because the Egyptians need you to be strong so you could pick up all their stuff and clean all their stuff, right? But you, you, you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Want to know another way that you're in this spot? You're really hyperbolic. You always, right? You're in this spot where you're always complaining and it's much worse than it really is, right? So now he's grumbling. They're all grumbling, complaining to Moses and Aaron. How dare you free us? You should have left us there. We could have died. We would have been so happy if we could die. We could have eaten meat pots like a spam and vaina sausages, right? Man, life was so good there. But you brought us out of that so we could die. Yep, Moses is going, yep, that's exactly what I did. I brought you out of here, and I wish God would do it now. I wish you all would die. <laughs> like, no, yeah, you're right. Aaron, they figured it out. We want them all to die. Right? <laughs> it's so funny. So they're, not, no, they're no longer obtaining and achieving. They're just about surviving, and they're in this spot of just contempt. Right? Complete judgment. Verse 4, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread. It's raining bread. <laughs> From heaven for you, the people are to go out each day and gather enough food for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. So <laughs> Moses is going, God, I don't know what to do. And God, in gracious, says, okay, I'll provide. I'll rain down bread, which is pretty neat, by the way, right? David Copperfield can't do that. And so He's going to rain down bread, and he's going to go, hey, I'm going to test them. Let's see what they do with this bread. Let's see if they go, yep, God is good. He always provides. He's always working everything for my good and his glory. Let's just see what happens here. So he tells Moses that's going to happen. No, watch what happens. Verse 5. On the, and then he says, follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So this is really interesting. Every day God goes, okay, I'm going to provide enough. They're going to have enough food. And you're going to find out later that it's all they need to eat, everything they need. And then on the sixth day of every week, I want to tell them to prepare for what I have prepared for them. So one day a week, I don't want them to do anything. I just want them to rest and be still 
and know that I'm God. I just want them for one moment on one day to work a little harder, do a little more. Why? So they can rest, right? So this is God implementing. You're going to see it later when he actually gives us these laws, but he's going to implement what's called the Sabbath, this 24 hours of rest. He wants them to rest. He thinks it's important that they rest. He modeled this when he created the creation. On six days, God created, and on the seventh day, he rested. Jesus in the New Testament says that the Sabbath was not, uh, we didn't, the Sabbath was actually created for man. There's something in this day that God has for his people. And I would argue, it's on that day where we pause for a second, that God gives us that great gift that we all need, this awareness of being aware, I know I need it, that our, that he's still working, our family's still okay, Our jobs are still okay, even when we're not doing anything. You see, there is this lie that if we don't perform correctly or do all this stuff, that the whole world will crumble. So God is going, see, this isn't about your performance. Never about your performance. It's never about what you do. This isn't about you. This is about my work. It's your witness. The only day I'm asking you to perform is one day a week. There's only one day that I'm asking you to put anything into your cupboards. There's only one day that I'm asking you to be responsible for your own provision. But I'm going to give you what you're responsible for. And it's not because you can earn it or there's something good that comes from it. The reason I want you to do it is so you can pause for an entire day and see that I'm good and see that I'm in charge and see that everything is still good and you can take deep breaths And in those moments, right, in those moments, you can discover what I'm up to, that I'm at work, right? Viktor Frankl says that there is this this space between the the stimuli, when something happens, and the response, right? And so in our world, you think about every time you get in a fight with whoever it is, particularly your spouse, your kids, there is this thing that happens, this prompting, the stimuli, right? And then there's this immediate reaction that most of the time we regret, And Viktor Frankl says, what you do between the stimuli, when something happens and your response changes everything, right? And so God's going, if you could have a day just to pause and go, wow, my expectations were that God would provide. But in my busyness, in my grumbling and complaining, I've lost sight of the fact that God has actually given me a free day. Do you understand when they were in Egyptian slavery, they didn't get a single minute off. Like this is transformative that God is going to go. You get 24 hours just to be. Right, just to sit and be. And so God's going to give them this time. By the way, this is why the, other, the second reason why Saturday nights matter so much to us. So I've uh, been here two and a half years or so. Love every minute of it. Where I came from was a, um, a multi-site church. Uh, so we had one main campus, like the mega church ship, and then we had the satellite campuses. And what we did is we provided the video for all the other campuses. Not interested in that. That's not where we're going. Unless God somehow comes in and speaks right here and says, do that. I don't see that anything in our future, right? But we would uh, do a Saturday night service so we could videotape it, and then we would, um, then we'd send it, be upload it so that all the other campuses could, um, could see it on Sunday morning. Um, but the benefit for me was I only, you know, I only taught, you know, every six weeks there. I wasn't the lead pastor. Or had another guy do that, and so every six weeks or so I would teach, but the remainder of the time I just got to go to church. Now I had some other responsibilities, but there was something really amazing about going to a church at five o'clock at night, Doing our church thing, uh, 75 minutes. So 6.15, we're done. We're picking up pizza. We're going home. We're eating. Then at 8 o'clock, right, uh, kids are in bed, and we just had this beautiful 24-hour period where we could just pause, where we could get up in our pajamas if we wanted to. We could eat waffles if we wanted to, and there finally became this space for us. And to be honest with you, um, Montana was a lot slower paced than here right? Lots of places. I remember the first day that I was driving in this place on your curvy roads and people honking at me and all sorts of, I mean, it was overwhelming, right? You move at a fast pace, 
look, you are some productive folks. You're highly educated, you're successful, and you can do more in 40 hours than most people can do in a month, right? And we take some pride in that. Now, it didn't take long for me to adjust to this, right? I used to talk really slow, and then I got here and... (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, you're my people, actually. But, I, I mean, just candidly, like, I am really, really concerned about our pace. And I'm really concerned about what we are whispering in our own ears and what the enemy is whispering in our ears about our productivity and how well we have to perform and how often we have to perform. And I'm really concerned about our culture, about there is no sacred days, right? You, it's actually pretty interesting. If you've got boys, they get to play soccer on Saturdays. You've got girls, they play on Sundays, right? Just so complicating that. And you look at it going, we have to... We have to create some margin. And so part of the Saturday night was going, there's a lot of you that are busy on Sundays and there's a lot of other stuff going on. Is it possible that we could create an environment where you could come to church and you can at least pause just for a few hours in the morning without getting into that rat race? Or could you, could you take Saturday and pick up a service on Sunday? And so we're trying to figure out a way to help usher in this Sabbath. So one of two things happen. You take the whole Saturday or Friday to Saturday, then you finish your Sabbath with a worship service, and then you're back at it, right? That's what I think our family's going to have to do, right? So Friday night to Saturday night, that's just kind of, we, our culmination of a Sabbath happens with a church service. Others of you can start your Sabbath with worship and then pause for a second because what God is saying here is, look, I'm giving you very clear instructions. And whenever God gives you instructions, it's not to punish you. It's because if we could pause, Look at the whole world, right? The whole world and everything out there. There is a sun that somehow was spoken into existence. Come up with a better conclusion for how that happened there. And if there's a creator who spoke the sun into existence and then created everything and then created human beings in his image and likeness and he designed the whole thing, is it possible that living outside of that design just creates a bunch of grumbling and complaining? And if we fell back into that design and the way that God wired us to live, it could do wonders in our marriages and our families and in our life. Right? And so part of this, God's going, hey, I'm going to give you two days worth. It's not so you can find comfort in your provision for the next day. Because they're going to mess this up. They're going to start gathering too much every day. You know what God does with the extra? He breeds maggots in it. He's going, no, 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 no. This isn't about you supplying for yourself. This is about you seeing that I am going to supply for you. So the reason you would do that on one day is just so you can pause for an entire day. Right? Even in your extra performance on that day, it's not because you get value in the extra performance. It's actually to remind you that God is your provider on that day. And so as we sort through, it's going, hey, we just got to figure this out. So there you go. Another reason why we're trying to figure out Saturday night services. Really great conversations for you to have with your family, with your kids, on how you literally pause. What you do with that pause says a lot about what you think about God. And what you do with those moments sets up a lot of... Um, sets up a lot of success or a lot of thriving or a lot of failure with your kids for years to come. So there's something pretty important on what we're modeling here to go, no, no, even, even while we're resting, God is at work. It is not based on us. There is a pressure that we don't have to feel because God is in charge. And at all times, he's bending and shaping all things for our good and his glory. So God gives us that, um, this understanding of, hey, I'm going to give you two days, verse 6. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. So there's a reason for all this. Because you've got to know that there is a God who's in charge and his name is Jesus. You'll see that at some point. So Aaron and Moses are going, you've got to understand Yahweh here. So when God provides, the reason he's providing is so that you will know that he's in charge. Which means you don't have to be. Which means you're not actually even capable of being, right? And in the morning, watch this, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard you grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? So now Moses is doing something. going, hey, let me tell you what's happening. God's at work in all this. 
But then he's actually going to point out something. He's going, hey, there's another really important part of here. You've got to understand what you're actually doing with this grumbling and complaining. No, this is for us as Christians. Okay, if you're not a Christian, you get a pass here, okay? When you grumble and complain, and boy, am I convicted of this. Every time you grumble and complain, regardless of the object or the subject that you're grumbling and complaining to or about, what Moses is saying here is, the way that you grumble and complain is actually a reflection of your belief in God. And those grumblings and those complaints actually are going directly to God. Because what you're saying is, God, you're not enough to supply my needs. God, you, you have written my story, but you have not done a good job in the story you've given me right now. God, I understand that one day you're going to give us a payoff. And maybe that's true. But you really stink at the process. Right? When our grumbling and complaining, what we're really going is going, God, okay, yeah, you made a promise. One day we'll get to heaven. But right now you're really a bad Lord. Like, maybe you're good at, like, the big things at the end, the big things at the beginning, but you're really terrible in the middle. Right? So all of our grumbling and complaining, what Moses is saying here is going, you've got to understand. You think you're grumbling and complaining to us. Like, we're the ones in charge. Like, we're the ones who wrote the story. Right? But when you grumble and complain, you're literally complaining to the one who is providential, the one who sees all things and works in all things and moves in all things. What you're saying is you don't think he's actually capable. And somehow, if you grumble and complain, he'll go, oh, I'm, whoops, my bad. Like uh, the doofus husband on all the sitcoms, right? That's how we're treating God in all these things. And so he says, verse 8, Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning. I think it's important to point out here, uh, folks, there's no vegetables. <laughs> because he has heard your grumbling against who? Against who? Against him. Now watch this. This would be a good beatdown for us, right? If, if I'm God in this, I'm giving us a beatdown. When my kids grumble and complain about how they don't have what they need or they want, their life is so bad, you know what I'm doing? I'm pulling up the internet and showing all the kids in the world who really struggle and go, see, I'm a good dad. No, you're punished, right? There's just something broken and all that. Like God could get that right in this moment. Because he's saying you're grumbling and complaining against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, guys but against the Lord. So he's given us some awareness in these things. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. Okay. Okay, God's heard you. Come on, sit down, sit down. Now, could you imagine what the experience could have been like based on our understanding of God? Like, is this wrathful God? Is this punishing God? Is this the God that you thought you understood in the Old Testament? This angry God, this is right in the middle of that, right? Now watch how he, spent, uh, he responds. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and the, there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. So in this moment, as they go, oh man, this could be really bad. The first thing you see in this moment is God's glory. So you're going to see throughout the Old Testament, you're going to see clouds. They show God's glory and God's presence. Other times you're going to see fire. In the fire, they show God's direction, right? You follow the light and his power. So in the cloud, you see God's glory and his presence. In the fire, you see God's power and his direction, right? And so in this moment, they see God's glory. And you could imagine if God shows up, this would be a place of trembling. What's God going to do in this moment? And we now get an understanding of why God would give us this moment in the process. And one of it is so we can always see God's glory. So we can look to him, even in our complaints, that we can look to him and go, God, would you please come through? And so the first thing they see is God's glory and God's presence. Verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, I have heard you grumbling um, of the Israel. I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you'll be filled with bread. Whoa, 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 whoa. They're grumbling and complaining in God, in his graciousness, showing his glory. He says, just tell them they'll eat. Tell them I'll provide for them. So God's giving them some awareness. God's helping them understand that I'm not complaining against 
Moses and Aaron, I'm actually complaining against God. And even in my cries to God, in my offensiveness, in my disrespect, and in my sin, God's still going, hey, hey, oh, bless them. Tell them they're going to get meat and food. That's the God of the Bible. In the middle of our bitterness, God's going, in the middle of our contempt, God in his gracious is going, guys, I want you to eat. I'm going to supply every need you have. I'm going to give you meat because you're a good God and meat is good. In the morning, you'll be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Um, by the way, our kiddos are covering the same passages, but we're not highlighting like the, the, the nutritious facts of this, right? There's not the, we're not talking about those things. We're not breaking out the pyramid and going, meat, bread, ha ha. Tell your parents that. We're not doing any of that kind of stuff, right? There's going to be some lettuce and tomatoes with the walk-in tacos. There you go, okay? Um, <laughs> then you'll know why, that I'm the Lord, who? Your God. See this? So the first part, God shows his presence and his glory. And the second thing, he actually says, when I do this, when I meet their needs, even while you're grumbling and complaining, here's what you're going to know, that I'm actually your God, that I am for you, that this whole thing is for you. I am for you. I am not against you. So in this moment, they're finally they're getting some awareness. Wow, we have been grumbling. Oh, there's God. What do we do? And then God comes with his graciousness and his mercy. And he goes, I just want you to know I'm your God. That's the God of the Bible. I just want you to know I'm your God. I'm going to meet your needs even though you grumble and complain, right? God, Jesus tells in the New Testament, who, who of you is a parent? Even though you're evil, when your kid asks for bread, you'd give him a rock or a snake, right? He's going, look, look, look. I'm a perfect father. And I'm like, uh, Jesus, are you asking? Because I'm not the snake, but the rock would be really funny, right? I'm sorry. Um, so you know that I'm the Lord your God. That evening, the quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? That's what the word manna means. What is it, right? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it's the bread the Lord has given you to eat. It's the bread that God has provided. Remember, he said he would. And if God says he's going to do it, the minute he speak it, speaks it, it's going to happen right? So this is it. God is going to do it. So you got to see God's glory. You got to see that he's your God, and you got to see that he's the provider, right? So you see in this moment, God is bending and shaping all things for what? His glory and for our good. So he provides it. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone to gather as much as they need. What do you need? What do you need? Because God will be happy to give you whatever that is. Not what do you want. Your kids want chocolate. You'd be a bad parent if that's all you feed them. But what is it you need? What is it you need? This good God is telling you in this moment, he will meet your needs no matter how great they are. What do you need? What do you need, right? If you're looking for closeness from him, he'll meet that. If you're looking for provision, he will provide that, whatever it is. You need food, he'll provide it. What is it you need? God is not going to ignore your needs. These are grumbling, complaining, sinful people, and God's going, look, what do you need? Because he's going to give you his, your needs no matter what it is because he is a good God. So he says, take an omar for each person. That, uh, that's a weight amount, but it's enough uh, you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Now you're going to see some moments later where they gather too much, and God's going to actually strike down that stuff. But what you see in this, this picture right here is, that even though we grumble and complain, God in his graciousness and his mercy still gives us what it is we need. So, what we have to land on is, do you believe you're the one responsible for your success? And if so, how is that working out for you? My guess is somehow you're leaning in this survival mode. 
which is not where any of us want to be. So it's possible we can take a deep breath and go, what if this God's really good? And what if he's really real? And what if he really can do that? And what if I could just turn to him and explain to him my needs? And he could meet those needs. So what you're trying to figure out in this moment is, can you trust God? And I'll just tell you, he's worth trusting. But then the next step is going, okay, what if we mess this up? What if we grumble and complain again? That's okay. You will, just like the Israelites did. So let me tell you what happens next. They eat some bread, and guess what happens when you eat bread? It's like popcorn. It's tricky, right? You get thirsty. You get thirsty. That's what the movie theaters do to you. Have our $12 bucket of popcorn. Then now you have to buy the $30 soda, and the kids will scream, I'm thirsty, I'm thirsty. What happens in the movie theater with your kids is exactly what happens to the Israelites. Verse, chapter 17, verse 1. Watch what happens next. The whole community, Israelite community set out from the desert of sin. Again, not mattering what, where it is. Traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. So they're going every day. God's meeting their needs. Going every day. God's meeting their needs. And there's this, you know, this, this thing happening where this attachment theory. We have a need. God meets it. We have a need. God meets it. And that's growing. That bonded, bonding is growing. So every day that's happening. They camped at this place that I can't pronounce. But there was no water for the people to drink. And they started crying, we're thirsty. It was bedtime, apparently, for these people. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, okay, guys, why do you quarrel with me? Like, I'm not in charge. Leave me alone, right? Why are you quarreling with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? Has he not met your need every single day? Verse 3, but the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses, but who who are they really grumbling against? God. Saying, God's not good. They said, why do you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? You've seen this story before. Chapter 15, they cry and say they'd rather die. They're going to die. Chapter 16, they're going to die. Chapter 17, here we are again. We're going to die, right? Here it is again, back to this grumbling, complaining, and we can't even survive. It's just the model of broken people, right? So I read you this, not to make you feel guilt and shame, but to kind of align your behavior and our brokenness with every other human being that's ever existed. So if you're not a Christian, or you are a Christian, the one thing we all have in common is we cannot fix ourselves. We cannot solve all the problems. And our natural propensity is to go back to grumbling and complaining and survival mode. It's just our natural propensity. So when you go, I'm going to try to trust Jesus, and then a couple days later you mess it up, you go, see, it's not possible. No, no, we are still living in our flesh. And so what's happening is this, this humanity that's living in us is now at war with this divinity that's come in. And so you're even more aware of your grumbling and complaining, and it just leads you to this place of guilt and shame, and you go, I can't fix any of this. You know, so watch what God does here. <laughs> it's so funny. Then Moses cried out to the Lord. What am I to do with these people? Like, can, could you just like, give them water in four days? Aaron and I just go to the next place by ourselves, right? They are, God, they are so angry. Like, they are, they are so emotional. Like, they are throwing a tem- temper tantrum. Like, they're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which you, were, uh, which you struck the Nile. Remember when he put it in the Nile and the waters parted? And go. So he says, take that same staff. I will stand there before you by the rocks at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out for all the people to drink. So he's going, God, what these people? They are whining, complaining. They are not getting it. They're not getting it. They're not getting it. What does God do here? He strikes something, but he doesn't strike the people. And his graciousness and his mercy, he says his mercies are new every day. A new day, he says, nope, they have a need. I'm their God. I'm going to meet their needs. And water will come out for all the people. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. 
So he's going, oh, I'm still going to meet their needs, which is really important to us. Because you see, when we go, okay, God, we'll trust you. We'll trust you. We'll get out of the system. We'll get in a new system. Okay, God, we'll, we'll see that every day we get to be with you. We'll see all those things. And then when you mess it up, here's what happens to you, because I know what happens to me, right? We feel guilt and shame. Now, hear me. This is very important for all of us. Guilt and shame are never from God. You see this? If God wanted you to feel guilt and shame in that moment, he would have struck, or the Israelites, he would have struck them and not the rock. Guilt and shame are not from the God. You know what guilt and shame whispers in our ear? You should be better. You can do better. Quit messing it up. You're never going to be good enough. Like, get it together. That's always from this enemy, this whisper that you should somehow perform better to make God or other people happy with you. Hear me. You are not capable of doing all the right stuff all the time. The story of the gospel is that you can't. So guilt and shame, that whisper that you should be better, that you should do better, that people, if they knew the real you, they'd hate you. All that stuff. That's all straight from the enemy. So pick up all the guilt and shame and throw it in the dumpster. But that's different than conviction. Conviction is God whispering in their ear, I got a better life for you than this. Oh, no, 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 no. You don't, shouldn't have to worry about all those things. You shouldn't have to escape and try to survive. No, 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 no. I got a better life for you than this. I'm not going to strike you. No, no, no. Don't. I'm not, I'm not the mean pet parent. You know, when you get that new puppy that, or, that's been abused, you know how they kind of do that. No, 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 don't do that. That's guilt. That's conviction. I'm not going to strike you. Conviction is saying there is a better life for you than this survival, success mode. Guilt and shame says you should do better. You should be better. Conviction goes, man, I've created a better life for you than this. I want you to have all your needs met. And I'm the only one who can meet them. So in this moment, God reaches in. You'll mess it up. God will continue to provide for you. He could have struck them, but he doesn't. doesn't. In this moment, the Israelites start referring to this rock, and they start talking about the rock all the, from this point forward in the, in the Old Testament. And they talk about the rock as being God. No, we know the rock's not God, right? This isn't pantheism. But it was a symbol of who God was. This God who could have struck them, but instead he got struck with the rock, and he provides. You know, Paul, to help us understand all this and point out, Paul in the New Testament, help us understand all this that God's doing in this. Going, I need you to understand what really is at work in the whole gospel. It's not success. It's about God meeting you every day right where you are and meeting your needs and showing him that he's glorious and that he's doing these things for your good. Paul takes 1 Corinthians chapter 10 to help you understand what God was doing for the Israelites. So gracious. Thousands of years later, Paul gives us understanding exactly what God was doing for them and for us. And this is what he says, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do not want you to be ignorant. Remember, the goal here is awareness of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all passed through the sea. Remember, God's presence was there. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So they were welcomed into the family. That's what that means. That their old life was gone, the new life coming in. We saw it with Susie this morning. Old life going, symbolically new life in Christ. They all ate the same spiritual food. God gave them meat. God gave them bread. And drank the same spiritual drink. Watch this. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. In other words, when God could have struck them, instead he struck the rock. And Paul's going, no, no, you got to see this. That rock is Jesus. That rock is Jesus. So Jesus goes, hey, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. There's a whole group of people that are operating this. All the obtaining, all the acquiring, all the achieving, all the grumbling, all the complaining, and finally to this place of either let's die or let's just try to make it through the day. Right? And Jesus goes, no, no, I came to redeem that. The wages of our sin is this life, death, right? But Jesus says, no, I give you, came to give you life and life to the fullest. In other words, he goes, I'm the rock. And when Jesus, God could have struck you because we deserved it and we were the ones grumbling and complaining, instead he decided to strike me. 
Jesus goes, the reason we can give good gifts, the reason we can do these things is Jesus literally is the one who stood in our place and got that wrath. And so what Paul's saying here is God could have struck the rock, but he's a good and perfect God. So instead what he did is he struck himself. So here's what you can understand based on that of Jesus. Even in the middle of all this, even when it's in the middle of the process, and the band's going to come up and we're going to sing this song declaring this. Even in the middle of this process, even when you can't see God's hand, even when you can't see him at work, even if you don't know what he's doing, even when you can't see his hand, as Spurgeon says, you can trust his heart. And so what Paul is saying is, here's how we know that God is good, that he has a plan for us, and we can trust that plan, and we can get out of the success-driven mold. is because Jesus proved that he was willing to pay the price for all that. So the guilt, shame, you deserve better, that's not from God, because God goes, nope, nope, I'd take that on. No, no, you don't deserve that punishment. No, no, I received it. Instead, you get conviction. No, no, because of what Jesus did for us, we can now walk into life. And as the band prepares, there's this really neat story um, written with Abraham Lincoln, you know, 150, 200 years ago, where Abraham Lincoln saw this little slave girl, and he wanted her to be free. So he bought her, he bought her, like he paid the price for her, and said, and bought her, welcomed her in, and said, I bought you so you don't have to be a slave, so you can be free. You're free now. You're free now. You're free now. Go and do whatever. Go in, and she goes, okay, okay. Um, you know, in your household, are you, are you really gracious? Yeah, I'm really gracious. In your household, do you provide for the people you love? Yeah, yeah I provide for the people I love. In your household, like, are you, uh, do you watch out for the people you make your family? Yeah, 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 I do. And she goes, okay then, I'll go with you. Right? This whole idea that Abraham literally paid, uh, presently prays for her to have freedom, and she realizes the one who paid for her pre- freedom is the one she can trust the most with her freedom. And so this whole picture of Jesus goes, no, no, the rock was struck. I'm the rock. Paid the price for your freedom. Then our, our natural instinct should be, okay, then we'll go with you. We'll go with your household. Because you've proven that you can take care of free people, and you can lead them into the life that's good for them. So the story of the gospel is we're not good, and yet God provides. And we're not good, and yet God provides. And the reason he provides is so you can see his glory, and you can see his goodness, and you can trust his heart. And he proves his heart the most in his son Jesus. And Jesus welcomes us in and goes, no, here's the really good news. I will defeat the enemy. Victory will happen. I will overcome all things. I will bend and shape all things for your good and my glory. I will bring victory, and you can walk right behind me in that victory. You can walk out of this messy model of success-driven, complaining and grumbling, and you can walk into this, this thriving life where every day I can be with you and I can meet your needs. And so that's what Jesus is welcoming you into, his victory and his plan. So would you stand with me as we sink?
So a couple things. If you're if you're new, if this is one of your first few times here, thanks thanks for coming. Uh, we know you have a lot of stuff you could uh, do today, and really really uh, feel honored that you'd be here. And just want you to know, we'd I'd love to get to know you better. I'd love for you to be a part of this thing. And there's some simple next steps for that. If you would be so bold, one would be to write your information on the back of that bulletin and a little uh, piece of paper you got. We drop it in the offering baskets on the way out, and we'd love to follow up with you. Or um. If uh, there's going to be some folks out there at the Info Center, you can just chat with them. Or the best thing you could do would be so brave to show back up here Wednesday night. We have a great meal every Wednesday night at 5.30. They have all sorts of classes, uh, some Bible classes, some engage groups. You can kind of hang out in the lobby and get to know people, celebrate recovery in here. Lots of good stuff that you could do. We'd love for you to do that 5.30 to 6 is dinner. 6.15 is when all the classes start. We have great things for your uh, students and your kiddos. We'd love for you to do that. Right now, if you've got some stuff going on in your life, you're like, I'd actually like to pray with someone. Not sure exactly what that's like. As people are heading that way, down to my right, there'll be people here who'd be happy to connect with you and pray with you for sure. And the other thing you can do for all of you, this is so neat. We're talking about God providing food, and guess what? Out on the, right behind the softball field next to the playground, there's food provided. It's walking, 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 walking tacos, uh, walking tacos that are available out there. And you're going to eat somewhere. Might as well stay here and eat with us, and those proceeds all go to really doing some pretty amazing stuff in our world, particularly in Kenya at the Tamani Orphanage. And so, love for you to do that. And you go, I don't, I wasn't prepared, don't have money. That's okay. Eat anyway. Someone else will cover it. Not a big deal. Don't you don't tell them, just grab the food and keep on going. And then hang out out there, chat, or come back in and eat in the lobby or out, in the, out underneath the, that, that little cover thing, whatever that is. That's it. I'm done, guys. I'm done. You guys have a great week. I'll see you later.